Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccan. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. However, this is not an ordinary episode. Today, friends, we are joined by the one, the only, Brian Ray. Amongst many of his accolades, he is the creator and host of On Tour, a podcast by Black Barrel Media in conjunction with iHeartRadio. You might be familiar with those names. Uh, And Brian has an extensive history as a lifelong musician and as, true story, guitarist for Sir Paul McCartney amongst, again, many, many other works. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much, Ben. Hey, Matt. Hey, Noel. Hey, Brian. How are you, man? (laughs) I'm good. I'm happy to be here. 
We're happy to have you. And it's always fun to listen to your own CV uh, rattled off at the top of a show. But uh, Ben really um, uh, absolutely is not kidding when he says this is among many other incredible things that you've done throughout your life. Um, You also have just recently launched a series of vinyl singles through another person that we're all a big fan of, Mr. Little Steven Van Zant of Silvio from The Sopranos fame and, of course, the E Street Band. But tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about the single series that you're doing with, uh, with Steven. Well, I had uh, I had been on the underground garage and been played uh, on that radio station at Sirius Twenty One for years with a band that I started called the Bayonets with my buddy and my partner in the Bayonets, a guy named Oliver Lieber, who, if that sounds familiar, yes, is the son of Jerry Lieber of Lieber and Stoller, the writing duo and production duo that basically built rock and roll, you know, Jailhouse Rock to Stand By Me to Under the Boardwalk, Poison Ivy. Anyway, so he's my buddy. We got a lot of play. We were discovered by Maureen Van Zandt, Little Steven's lovely wife, one night upon the release of our first uh, single called Sucker for Love, well, she went and played it for Steven, and he reached out to us the next day and said, I love this. Who are you? Can I get some more of it? Do you mind if I do an edit? You can use the edit or not. I'm going to play you on the radio anyway. And that started a long, long relationship that's just gotten better and better over the years. And Oh, that's awesome. Finally, when the bayonets wrapped up, uh, little Steven came to me and said, uh, would you be interested in a singles deal with my label, Wicked Cool Records? And I said, of course I would. And uh, here I am, five singles later and ready to do five more. You're a busy, busy man, sir, uh, which I, I think is something that uh, we were, it made us even more excited uh, to speak with you today because in a very real way, Uh, Your career is one that uh, millions of people dream of having or even, you know, and this is not hyperbolic. There are people who dream of having, you know, one gig like the like the many (laughs) that you have. And uh, when we were we were researching this episode, of course, people have read the title. Uh, We're talking a little bit about Beatles conspiracies, uh, which we all thoroughly enjoy. But when we're researching this episode. I have to be honest, I kept thinking, like, is there a way that we could get Brian to tell us some of those behind the scenes war stories? Because how many tours have you been on at this point? Can you count them at at all? God, it's incalculable. Um, (laughs) Well, I started straight out of high school and that's a long time ago. So, uh, you know, I started out, uh, my very first gigs were with uh, Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kicker Five doing the Monster Mash at Six Flags over Texas and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I was 17 then, and that led into uh, being introduced to Etta James by a guy named Phil Kaufman, who uh, is the main uh, character in one of the most outlandish rock and roll stories of all time involving Graham Parsons. Anyway, that's a story for a whole nother podcast. Anyway... Uh, Phil Kaufman was also Etta James's uh, road manager, introduced me to her, and that led to 15 years touring with Etta James, uh, opening for the Rolling Stones and uh, many other things. And that led to 20 more years of working with her in the studio and such. Um, So that's just one of the many things that I feel really lucky enough to have uh, stumbled into somehow. Wow. So, okay, I... 
I want to I want to pivot this a little bit. I Brian, I want to talk to you kind of on a high level about the concepts of chance versus versus fate. Mm. And I want to do it via uh, one word. And that one word is freedom. Mm. So w- when I think about um, at least all the events that I've read about and heard about in your life thus far, and you think about all the events in the world that have occurred since you've been alive, um, it really boggles my mind when I think about what brought you to New Orleans in February of 2002. And um, I, I just really want to know what it was like for you regarding chance versus freedom to be at the Super Bowl with Paul playing a song called freedom at that moment in history. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, this was back before I had a cell phone, if I remember correctly, and I still had, uh, you know, a plug in what cordless phone with voicemail, but that day I happened to pick up the phone on a Monday when I got a call from David Kahn, the great producer and arranger who was uh, associated with Paul McCartney for years and years and still will sometimes uh, pop in and out. Well, David Kahn said, I got your phone number from Abe Laboreal Jr. We're putting together a band to go do one song in advance of the Super Bowl, 2002. And we're looking for a guitar player who plays a bit of bass. Would you be up for coming and meeting with me to see if you might be the right guy for that? And I said, hell yeah. He says, can you be here in a half hour? And I said, no, but I can be there in an hour. And the truth is, I could have been there in a half hour, but I was literally shaking now. And I <laughs> I didn't want to show up like drooling. So I, I thought I would take... <laughs> just a half hour to breathe a little bit, get my act together a little bit, because this was all very exciting. Now, flip back a couple of weeks, I had told Abe at my birthday party that I would love a shot at that, was what I said when he talked about future gigs, possible gigs with Paul. So obviously he had given my name to David Kahn and now there I was with David Kahn over at Henson Studios, talking to David Kahn, picking up a uh, a Hofner bass, picking up a Telecaster and just talking about music. It wasn't a high pressure, uh, you know, audition or something. It was more just kind of a get to know you thing, just he and I. And uh, at the end of about an hour, he said, well, you know, I've had a really good time and I have a good feeling about this. There are other people they're looking at. I know that, but, uh, you know, I'm going to put your name forward. And um, I got a call the next day saying, can you be on a plane Wednesday to come to New Orleans to play with Paul McCartney at the Super Bowl. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it, it is um, something, it is chance and it is preparedness. Cause if not for the many years with Etta James and Laura Branigan and Johnny Halliday and Milan Farmer, without all of those things, maybe I'm not the right guy for Paul. So it's chance, it's opportunity, but it's also preparation but it's also being a kid who embraced freedom to do what the hell I wanted. So if that kind of helps wrap it up, I'd never thought about it that way. But yeah, I was lucky to have parents who didn't force me to do like, go be a policeman. You know, <laughs> I had the freedom to do what the hell I wanted. And I knew from the age of three, that's what I wanted. Wow. And this, this is something 
that I think is inspiring for a lot of the people in the audience today to hear. Because, you know, Brian, we have um, a lot of listeners who are on on the younger side, you know, and are pursuing music. And this is a secret adults don't always admit to high schoolers and, and younger people. That's a terrifying time. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of external pressure. So I, I think it's powerful uh, for us to be able to share this story of you being uh, being capable of having your vision and pursuing it. And I completely agree with, with your statement that um, chance does exist, but uh, chance and preparedness are what I think creates the al- amalgamation we recognize as opportunity. Mm. And with this in mind, I have to I have to ask, what was your what was your first impression? Like we are meeting Sir Paul McCartney for the first time. Things have happened so quickly, right? We've got this call. Can you be here in thirty minutes? <laughs> Can you get on this plane Wednesday? It's a movie montage, and now here you are. Mm-hmm. Well. You know, uh, suffice it to say, I was really nervous. If I was nervous to meet David Kahn, okay, this is like times 100. Now I'm in New Orleans. Now it's the day of the evening that we're going to have a dinner together in this big, beautiful ballroom in a certain old hotel. And, uh, you know, I am freaking out now. And because, you know, I think that that's a generational thing. Like people of my age were there. I was sitting on the floor when the Beatles, you know, arrived on Ed Sullivan show, you know, for us in America, that was our first visual take. Now in England, of course, they'd been seeing them on all sorts of shows and in clubs and stuff like that since, well, 62, for us, it all happened at once. There are two singles out already, and here they are. And so for me, it's a big deal when you know he's going to walk into the room and you're going to turn around and meet him. So I was out of my mind. I thought, okay, I'm just going to walk around the French Quarter for about three hours, see if I can just like spill off some of this extra spark that's coming off of me right now. And uh, that's what I did. I walked around the uh, the French Quarter and you know, uh, did a little tourism and stuff like that. Did it get rid of my nerves? No, it didn't. But uh, there I was. It was about 7.30 or 8, and we're all in this ballroom. He's not there yet. There's a bar set up and a big, beautiful table, about 17 of us. I've now met some of his inner circle, you know, some of the, you know, direct uh, production staff and stuff like that, but a very cool, small group. Uh And uh, I'm standing there having a cocktail and the lights are low and it's this big sort of Rococo, beautiful room with long curtains and very lush setting. And and suddenly everyone's energy just changes and it gets very quiet in there. And I say, he's just entered the room and my back is to the door. You know, like I didn't want to like have my jaw drop on the ground or something weird. But anyway, so yeah, I'm a bit of a fan. What can I say? And so finally he makes his way around and I've turned around uh, and and uh, he walks up and he goes, you must be Brian. And he puts out his hand and he goes, I'm Paul. And, uh, you know, that was the beginning of what's now 20 years, you know, in, in the blink of an eye. Uh, Anyway, he made me feel very comfortable. He was very nice and very warm. He was with his then wife, Heather, and we sat down to have a, a, a beautiful dinner for us. And, it, you know, it was a really nice way to start. 
You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting hearing you describe this from the perspective of someone who, like all of us, I think is a huge Beatles fan. You, in particular, experienced it when it was just, like, happening at its height. Yeah, I actually kind of, it's so weird, I'm a strange person. I, I tend to put things off that too many people are really, really into. So I sort of slept on the Beatles for quite a while. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it just hit me and I was just, you know, all in. Um, but the thing is about the Beatles, part of what I just said is they were just so they hit the zeitgeist and kind of caught people's imaginations in a very, you know, uh, popular music kind of way. Obviously, when they first arrived, they were more kind of a traditional pop group and, you know, huge legions of fans freaking out airports when they arrived. And then, of course, they went into a more kind of mystical period where they started experimenting with sound and creating the kind of, you know, um, uh, tr- the standards really for what you know multi-track production is today and some of the best and coolest and weirdest sounding records I think ever made and because of that and that intersection of this like clean cut kind of like pop group then becoming this much more kind of refined and out there and you know um, uh, very experimental different band in such a short period of time it makes sense to me that you know so many things are said. There's so many legends and lore kind of wrapped up in all this because they were doing so much for the first time. Uh, And one of those things, if you guys don't mind, that I'd love to just jump into is the idea of recording things backwards. So it's like, you know, there have there's been much made of the idea of backwards masking and, you know, um, congressional committees playing records backwards and saying that uh, there's satanic messages or, you know, particularly evangelical types that are, you know, claiming there's the devil is in this Beach Boys single or whatever. Um, From the perspective of the Beatles and, and them talking about it, it was just kind of them having a bit of fun and trying some interesting things out in terms of recording techniques. And they thought it sounded cool. But uh, the idea of hiding messages in records still kind of sticks around today. Um, and I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, have a little bit of a brief chat about backwards masking and, and where you stand on that. And, uh, and particularly we'll get into some you know, examples within the Beatles catalog. I would like to answer that in reverse. Is your Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me play the record backwards. Okay. He, he says that he's, he says he's into it. He says he's into it, and we can, we can move forward. Um, okay. So, well, I mean, you know, the, the truth is, is what I know is the Beatles uh, began to take a little bit more of a front seat approach to their own sonic uh, palette, you know, and they had gone from being a four piece rock band, pop band, to now getting into being invited into the studio by. Uh, George, Sir George Martin and uh, Jeff Emmerich uh, for most of the time, they were being invited in. And as soon as they did, all bets were off. You'd see their hands up on the board and they'd get involved (laughs) in the mixes. And then they said, well, what would happen if we recorded the drums really fast and then played them back slower? And then wouldn't they sound bigger? And we could do that with a piano or a guitar. So they do a lot of sort of double speed recording or half speed recording Mm -hmm. to get the opposite effect. And somewhere along the line, uh, you know, you you get things like uh, uh, the, the time where For Tomorrow Never Knows, of course, famously one of their most psychedelic and indulgent studio masterpieces where... They literally went into uh, a tape library and found all these sort of sort of like calliope bits. And then Paul would go record a guitar part 
really slow and then play it back super fast and then chop it up and put it into this recording. And Tomorrow Never Knows, the John Lennon mostly uh, composition, but Paul McCartney and George Martin and the whole band joining in for production, uh, featured what is now known as the very first drum loop, because that's just a couple of bars of Ringo played over and over and over again. Fascinating. Well, now that's done uh, all the time in popular music, in rap music, and and hip hop, uh, looping is the thing you do. Anyway, that is one of the first known examples of that. Um, and the backward masking, very interesting stuff. The backward recording. Well, the Beatles did do it here and there. Um, whether there are actual hidden messages in there, that's uh, for others to say. <laughs> but uh, oh, it was go. interesting when, like, I think it was Tipper Gore, uh, Al Gore's wife, came to Congress to, you know, decry that this new backward satanic masking <laughs> that was going, you know, and uh, man, oh man, that was like a funny time. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I think for the people who did it initially, it was just something weird and new to do. Later, as soon as Tipper said that, then everyone did start putting in backwards messages. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, she definitely just knew to how mess to work with people against her own uh, goals by getting people riled up about it. Like, what? This lady's telling me I can't do this. Well, I'm definitely going to do a ton of this. Um, she's been great at it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, well, but just to stay on backward masking for one yeah, second, yeah. you can't get away that easily, Brian Ray. For your money, is it cranberry sauce or I buried Paul or turn me on, dead man? Or no, that, is that what it is? <laughs> we'll turn it on audio Rorschach at that point. People tend well, to hear what they're expecting. They'll hear. That's exactly, I think, what Brian's getting at in, in a lot of ways, too. Um, but Turn Me On Dead Man was the one from the White Album on Revolution Number no. 9, um, where folks were thinking that was a reference to probably the biggest Beatles conspiracy there is, which is the idea that Paul... It was, you know, was was killed in a car accident and then replaced by a doppelganger for the duration of uh, his life. I do, I do want to bring this to you, Brian. There is one, uh, one part of backwards masking recording uh, that Paul McCartney talks about that I thought was pretty interesting and gave us a little bit of a look into his personality because, uh, you know, unlike you, uh, most people have not met Paul McCartney <laughs> and worked with him. So, so uh, we're, we're kind of gleaning his personality from these interviews, from these autobiographical works. And this stood out to me. Uh, he is in this interview a while back, and he seems pretty game to kind of play with the fans who are getting a little, maybe a little off the off kilter there. And he admits, he says, oh yeah, we did add backwards recording, backwards masking to 1995's Free as a Bird. And he, we did it because we thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. and, and it would give everybody, all the, all the nutty fans, uh, something to do. Does that, does he have that kind of personality? Like, is that the kind of prank he would pull? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he, he's a man of great humor. And he, he's a very hardworking man and an, an exacting man, and as he should be. And he has very strong ideas that are wonderful to uh, explore. But he also just wants to have a laugh. Also, Paul isn't one of those people that's behind some, you know, some big 
gold gate in a gilded cage. He's he's like a human who walks around and goes to dinner and demands as normal a life as he can possibly get. So he is in touch with what fans have thought and believe. And I'm sure he gets out a kick out of it. So I find it funny that he would do that, uh, you know, uh, deliberately just to play with the fans and have a go, you know, have a laugh. Mm-hmm. We'll pause for a word from our sponsors, then return with more from Brian Ray. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back. You know, I really appreciate you pointing out 
one of those one of those struggles that people after at a certain threshold of prominence and celebrity always encounter, which is just to let me not have to be on for for a second, you know, let me go get dinner, right? And especially if you have so many adoring fans, uh, this can be a struggle. And I, I this makes me want to pivot to something that I'm sure. Um, I'm sure has affected uh, Paul in many ways and has affected a lot of people like you who work closely with him. It's what Noel just mentioned, which is the big daddy of all the Beatles conspiracies. Mm. The idea that Paul McCartney is somehow not Paul McCartney, as Noel said, uh, that the the original Paul McCartney was uh, killed in a car crash. And then there's this whole story about how there was a lookalike contest because that's how you keep a secret um have you have you ever talked to him about this i have no idea how you would bring that up in conversation yeah uh, paul are, are you dead <laughs> i wouldn't be tell so you if he was though i gotta say <laughs> to you know when this is all wrapped up whenever that is that mm-hmm. uh finally he would turn to me and say brian i just want you to know that my real name is randall <laughs> I'm not, in fact, Paul McCartney. Oh, Wait. my God, you're what? <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, it's uh, to be uh, the subject of so many fantastical sort of conspiracy is a real honor. That just means that people are so into you that they want to embellish your, I guess, mostly eight-year career and keep it going. Keep it going today. You know, I think that's a way for people to keep the Beatles alive. And uh, Mm. it's funny that they would choose to say one of them's dead by keeping them alive. But, (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) anyway, yeah, I mean, let's get into it. What? Tell me what the uh, data is. Give me give me some of the evidence. And and here are the facts. Okay, let's go. Let's go, man. Hit it. All right. Yeah. Uh, So here are the facts. The story of. The conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney dies uh, really reaches the mainstream way back in October 12th of 1969. There is a DJ named Russ Gibb. He's hosting a show on WKNR in 69. Everybody loves the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows who they are. And he gets, you know, these are like, this is the heyday of call-in radio, right? So uh, someone, a mysterious caller, reaches out to Russ on air and and is like, you need to put on Beatles White Album, spin number nine, number nine intro from Revolution 9 backwards. And he like hangs up like big, I've already said too much, vibes. And so, you know, gives a DJ, he's game for it. He plays it on the air and he is the one who claims, you know, I hear something and it sounds to me like they're saying, turn me on, dead man. And then from that moment, the story spreads like wildfire. Uh, and there's there's one um, there's one hilarious quote from uh, Paul himself about this, where he said, uh, "I'm alive and well, and I'm concerned about the rumors of my death. Uh, but if I were dead, I would be the last person to know." 
<laughs> Excellent answer. Oh my God. It, it, it uh, reminds me, I know you mentioned this before, Ben, off air, but it reminds me a lot of the uh, Mark Twain quote the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> you know, to, the idea to be able to comment on your own death is, is delightful and ironic. And it sounds like he took it in stride. But I mean, there were like headlines about this. This wasn't just some fringy thing. I mean, clearly, you know, it is in many ways, but it made the news, right? Are you saying that newspapers need stories to sell more newspapers? I think no. that might be partially well, I what mean, I'm saying. Isn't normal news enough? Apparently <laughs> not. But anyway. Even back yeah. then, even back then, we've got a headline from the World News Daily Report uh, that says, Former Beatle Ringo Starr claims the real Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by a lookalike. When when did this happen? Well, that that came out in the mid to 2010. I know, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But it did still make the news at the time. But what is the deal with that? I don't even recall this happening. Oh, this sounds Matt, like a Matt very disreputable. This sounds like a very disreputable publication, too. Ooh. By the way, <laughs> yeah, so, but so it sold this, papers. It sold yeah, well, papers. It sold clicks, I guess, in online advertising. I uh, suppose. Yeah. Same this, thing. Same thing. Yeah. But this is the the mid two thousand teens and like around twenty fifteen I believe, and this got published in a bunch of other places. So people picked up that story. Oh my God, Ringo Starr talked to this thing called the Hollywood Inquisitor and spilled the beans about all this stuff. Holy crap! What? And even I, you know, in in preparing for this episode, reading the article, my blood gets gets a little excited. I'm like, oh my God, Ringo's like telling the 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 deep dark secret. And the reason why it's compelling is because there are so many details. It's like any good yarn that's been spun. These details are so fine and just they're perfect for, for making you feel like something <laughs> like something is real. Um, I, I hate to even burst the bubble immediately, but it turns out this publication is a satirical news site, very much like the onion. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it says it on, on their website. Uh-huh. Yeah, but who's going to click to the about section? We got no time for that. We just heard from Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the last word. I remember when those rumors came out, it was the late 60s. And I, uh, no, when the rumors came out about saying it, it happened in 66. I remember mm-hmm. that. And uh, it's very interesting. I, I remember somebody engaging me on one of my Facebook pages about it, and he was dead serious about it. And I just thought, oh my God, this guy, I, there's no talking to him about it. And so I, I, I think I just muted him or something like that <laughs> because I mean, what are you going to say? Um, no, I guarantee you that that's Paul McCartney I've been working with for 20 years and not Randall. <laughs> <laughs> or Billy Shears. Or mm. Billy Shears. Mm. <laughs> I thought and Billy that- Shears was Ringo's alter ego. Because he sings the he sings the a little help with my friends and they kind of introduce him as Billy Shears. Yeah, the, I know the, the idea behind that album was pretty brilliant. I think Paul talks about that being his idea that the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band would give them freedom to be someone other than the Beatles everyone had come to know, and thereby giving them there. There's that word again: the freedom mm-hmm. to. Do something like, um, you know, Good Morning or like uh, Little Help from My Friends or, 
you know, day in the life, just to really stretch out a little farther than they ever had before in production and in sort of the palette, you know, the uh, production palette of sounds, you know, they could yeah. be this other band. Well, and yeah. That, and plus Billy Shears had to learn how to play all of Paul McCartney's songs anyway. So, oh, right. sorry. No. Okay. No, okay. <laughs> well, no one said the people involved didn't have a work ethic, right? Well, that's, that's day one stuff. In earlier research, we're looking into this and um, I was trying ardently to find some things that might exist in the world of conspiracy that might have a little bit of sand. So just just the shout out one that I also don't think is true. There, there's a theory circulating, and it's an older theory um, that had to had to have started on the internet, man, uh, where someone says, "No, Paul McCartney is alive. It's all the other Beatles who have died and been replaced. That's what they don't want you to know." And I could like see somebody on Facebook just deciding that in response. So I, I went through a lot of um, a, a lot of these ideas, and one that I found intriguing, and one that I think you are probably one of the best people to uh, explore this idea with us is, is the following. How likely is it, how likely or unlikely is it that the Beatles somehow still have unreleased music? And I'm asking this because um, it's something that seems to come up, not just more than once, but come up kind of cyclically. Like every so often, there will be someone who makes a claim that there's, you know, there's some tape lost somewhere that might be recovered or it's being held in secret. And we know from the creative process of um, of all musicians that you can end up with a lot of things that are, uh, you know, you feel like maybe they're 80%, but they're not ready yet to release. So it, to me, it seems plausible that maybe an individual in a group might have some musical projects of their own that they, they've kept to themselves. But what do you think? Have you heard people tell, like, like that guy on Facebook, have you heard people reach out to you and say, nah, man, tell me the truth. Where's the rest of the Beatles music? Yeah, well, that is really intriguing because to be honest with you, we know a lot having been around Paul for almost 20 years now. He's, he's very chill and very forthcoming with a lot of stuff. Uh, but that is one thing that if it were true and there were some Beatles tracks hidden, he would probably keep that close to his vest because that's a very important property. And there are a billion people who would like to know about that, you know? And so that is something he might, if it were true, might not tell us. So I can't give you a definitive answer, but it is plausible that there so, could be more unreleased Beatles music. Who knows? So Brian, are you telling me that you've never played the songs left is right and right is wrong or colliding circles or deck chair, the famous deck chair uh, or pink litmus paper shirt. These, these songs what? are not familiar to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I have not yet, yet played no, those. Okay. I'm sure they'll make the set list. Should we tour again after the pandemic? <laughs> should, blows they, over? should they crack open the vaults? Uh, Cause those are actually some names that are thrown around as being potential as uh, secret hidden Beatles songs. I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready I for love all of pink those. Litmus paper shirt. That's fantastic. What was it called again? The what shirt? A uh, pink litmus paper shirt, pink litmus paper shirt, mm. uh, colliding circles, left is right and right is wrong. It's like a allegory uh, deck chair, which just sounds like the most like absolutely compelling song ever song about a deck chair. But if anyone could do it, it was the Beatles could do yeah, a compelling song could. about a deck chair. Yeah. Or leave it off an album because it just isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's the, what's interesting about that, that 
trackless is for a long time, it was presented as sort of a, a smoking gun. But I believe what happened is that as the story took off, uh, the person responsible for saying these, <laughs> the person responsible for uh, saying these tracks existed came out later and said, I made those up. That was a hoax. I did that. And then the people who believed him originally now decided he was lying. And they were mm. like, I don't know, Big Beetle got to you, man, or something. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, there's something about human nature, which I think we could all take away from what's gone on for the last year or so, not to get political, but um, human nature, we do want to believe in some unseen, unknowable truth that really you can find if you go out and do your own research. That was the whole thing that a lot of the conspiracy theater, uh, conspiracy theater, I like that. I like wow. it. That's good. That's kind of what we are here. That's kind of what we are. Come on. That's what we are. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's where I think a lot of conspiracy theaters, they, they can, you know, live on and on and on because they're really are asking questions and people are inquisitive and they want to know. And this makes them feel like they're doing their own research, you know? Hmm. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because it's been coming up a lot in some of our recent episodes, especially about events of the past few years. Brian, there's something just fundamentally more comforting about the idea of an infallible secret superpower group. Even if they're evil, that's more comforting than the concept of a chaotic, uncaring universe. No one's in charge. No one's at the driver's wheel. So I think you nailed it. It's interesting. Yeah, it's it's not that different than people um, sort of finding comfort in religion. You know, it is a sort of um, bespoke religion. You can make up your own set of guardrails, facts that fit you, that you're happy with, that make you feel good that you did your research. I don't know. It, it's cool. Uh, whatever makes <laughs> us tick. Yeah. You know, so speaking of doing our research, I'm going to put you in the hot seat now, Brian. Uh -oh. You ready for this? Yes. <laughs> 18 years after your initial performance with Sir Paul, you sat down for an interview with the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum. Ah. Looking, uh, looking at a transcript here. Let's see. At 22 minutes and 30 seconds, Brian. Here we go. You say, quote, you can imagine being Paul McCartney since birth and being famous since you were 15. I mean, wow, that's a lot to carry around. Here it comes. But I think he is the best Paul McCartney in the world. Yes, I'll go on record as saying that. You referred to him as the best Paul McCartney in the world. Mm. Hmm. Hmm, Brian, did they get to you? Giving oxygen to the idea that he isn't the only Paul McCartney. I, what I'm really going for is, is that, you know, it's, it's uh, tempting and understandable to be trapped by that level of fame, a level of fame that I'll never know. And to be honest with you, I'm fine with that. I don't need to be that famous. Um, but uh, to be trapped by it is something altogether different. And I think that uh, the the two uh, Beatles that are no longer with us, you know, John and George, I think that they had a different relationship with that level of fame. I think that George uh, was more reclusive. Um, and I think John uh, came in and out of reclusive uh, behavior. But Paul just won't do that, you know. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it's understandable. So when I'm saying he's the best Paul, he's the best possible, uh, you know, uh, I've got to be very careful here. There are conspiracists <laughs> that are going to think I'm, <laughs> I'm sidestepping this. He is the best version of a guy who's been famous that you could possibly be. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. And he seems like a lovely dude all around, very warm and welcoming. And I can't imagine, you know, having that level of fame and not turning into some sort of megalomaniacal monster. He clearly has not done that. He has continued to grow gracefully. And he's also obviously still rips uh, as a live performer. And his new record ain't bad either. Let me tell you. All right. Uh, the one that just came out. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And then um, he's also clearly into working with uh, up and coming, you know, kind of indie artists as he put out the whole companion record that's got like St. Vincent and Beck and not that they're up and coming, but it has uh, Phoebe Bridgers is on one of the tracks. It's like reimagining. So I, he seems to really be, he didn't have to do that. Right. Exactly. You know I mean? like, yeah. That's something he obviously cared enough to do to make the time to do this companion record. And uh, he doesn't have to make records anymore if he doesn't want to. But he, he made one all by himself with, you know, his own home studio and produced it. And I just think that's super cool. And I very much respect that. And we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors, then return with more from Brian Ray. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, 
So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we've returned. Okay, so I think we can put Paul is dead to bed. He, he, I think he's not dead. Guys, what do you think? I don't know. Any, any outstanding questions here? So <clears throat> I, I appreciate you uh, bringing us back to that, Noel. Um, I think it's it's interesting because we did an examination of that a number of years back, and we did it primarily because because of the resilience of this right. concept, even though it is very easily disproven. Um, there was something that I wanted to explore on a, on a larger level with you, Brian, which I think we we're we're kind of touching on already, which is you know you said something really beautiful just a few minutes ago. And it's something that I have not heard before when you said these, in a way, these conspiracies are being created by people who want to keep something they love alive. And that is one of, and I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating or blowing smoke here. That is one of the like most optimistic, beautiful takes I've ever heard on these, um, on these types of theories, because what we're talking about is something, you know, that can really wear on a person's mental well-being, maybe even on their soul, when, you know, fame at a certain level becomes a cage. And what what I have to ask is, if you look at the world of conspiracies, you know, there's some about actors, right? There, there are plenty about politicians. Uh, but out of the majority of uh, celebrity conspiracy theories, they seem to center, like, specifically on musicians pretty often, why why would you say that is or have you noticed that what what do you think makes people feel so compelled to create conspiracies around musicians specifically interesting i think that one of the components of that might just be that at the time when the beatles came into fame and were in everybody's living rooms and on everyone's mind and television sets and everyone in the British invasion, we were all swept up by this new wave. This is so long before social media and they lived on mystery. That was part of what they were selling was they were able to put out what they wanted you to see. Yeah, the Beatles did Christmas greetings and they did this and that, really sweet, cute stuff. Uh, And they would then tour, the Stones would go on tour, the Beatles would go on tour Um, But they showed you what they felt like showing you. They gave you what they wanted to give you. So you're really left there in a dearth and a sort of a void to fill in some of the blanks. There wasn't a ton known or said. They weren't on every talk show to be interviewed all the time. So I think in that void, people love them so much. And as I said, want to keep them alive that they'll just fill in because it's pre-social media, you know? 
Dude, I, I love I love that, Brian. And and I think there's something if you take that and you combine it with the the intimacy that's talked about in the audio medium, uh, that a lot of times with regards to podcasts is talked about as an industry, how intimate this this is, where you're talking to someone or you're listening to someone constantly just through your ears. I'm imagining in the 60s in a car listening to a song over and over and over as it's being played in your living room with your speakers you've got set up with your vinyl. My dad would listen to Beatles records just on repeat, just sit down in the living room and listen to Beatles records. And that intimacy that you feel you have with those individual songs, with those individual musicians and the voices that you're constantly hearing, I think that is really making that connection even deeper. And mm. and like you said, living on every moment, on every word that's written in a tabloid when Paul sat down or, you know, the Beatles sat down to be interviewed, every little detail becomes the most important thing. That's mm. interesting. You know, and, and another factor that you just sort of reminded me of in music performed by people like the Beatles and largely the Stones and a lot of these other very influential artists is personal and it's written by them. These days, you'll see an awful lot of the pop artists where songs are written by 10 people. So you're talking about something that's very important. There is an intimacy. So those headphones are right on your ear and Paul is singing really perfect, sweet, you know, Hey Jude or, or, you know, John is singing Julia in your headphones. It's very intimate, you know? Um, and so you do form a connection with them more than you would an actor. An actor is reading somebody else's words. And as a viewer, you might know that. Uh, but as a listener to someone, you, you have adopted this artist, the Beatles. They are sort of extended family. And uh, maybe there's something to that, that uh, that relationship, you know, kind of, I know, fosters a little bit of an imagination to fill in some of the blanks in the spaces that have been left for you to fill in. Mm -hmm. mm. And that's part of the, uh, you know, I think the, the academic term for it is a parasocial relationship. We, we have people speaking to us, even if, you know, they might, lyrics might sound abstract on, on one track or another. I, I believe that, I, I believe it's safe to say at this point, uh, people who listen to the Beatles have, a collection a very specific, maybe even not entire songs, very specific moments in a song that speak to them on, on this intimate human level. And when you have this, when, when your brain is telling you that you have formed this social relationship, then we see the, you know, we see the beautiful uh, interconnectivity that can happen. If that's the Jedi side of it, then the Sith or dark side of it is when people believe that they can start making demands or presumptions of folks that they've never met as though they are owed something, as though they are, you know, this is what I would ask my dad to do or whatever, right? And, right. and I, what I love about your point is before the age of ubiquitous information, this was, <clears throat> this was part of your fandom, right? To read tea leaves in every word. And I have to ask you, um, this is just, this is just an opinion question, but in from your perspective, having seen both sides of this social coin, uh, do you 
Do you think one was better than the other or were these just a natural evolution? Are there ever times when you're like, you know, social media, maybe we should take a step back or is it more like forward to the future? Well, it's a great question. And uh, there is no putting the the genie back in the bottle or the toothpaste back in the tube. (laughs) It is what it is. I would also say that we're all super high on it right now. It has reached a zenith, especially over the last sort of four years, let's say. Uh, (laughs) The interaction is sort of boiled over. Um, And it has uh, been a breeding ground for a lot of maybe not as constructive or playful conspiracy theories. Uh, So to a degree, it is a damaging influence, but there's no putting it back. And yeah, it would would be great if we could just turn it all off at once, but it ain't going to happen, you know. Uh, (laughs) That would be cool. But what would I do with half of my day? No. Uh, fair. I would, you know, no more doom scrolling, but, uh, anyway, oh, you could, you could just practice all of the iconic riffs that you get to play all the time. Yeah. Those five <laughs> songs that Noel just told us about, I could get started on those and do something yeah. constructive with my life. Deck chair, deck chair, yeah. deck chair. Oh, Paul, man. come on, so let's do deck chair. deck chair. I'm so pumped for deck chair and pink litmus shirt. You guys, I can't even express, uh, my, my enthusiasm. Um, I think this is a really interesting place to take the conversation. I mean, it really that I, I agree with Ben. I thought it was very insightful the idea of a conspiracy around an artist or around you know the lore. I, to me, this is like invented lore in so many ways. That maybe there's a grain of truth. That's sort of what we always talk about. Like on the show, we try to find the there's the grain, then there's like sort of the pearl that sort of forms around the grain, and within those layers, you know, there's lots of different perspectives, and there's lots of truth. And then there's lots of, you know, uh, misinformation. Um, But this one, it it really does seem like none of these were necessarily started with maliciousness. The Paul is dead one was, I think, more started out of concern, right? Mm. It's like, we're worried that Paul's not okay. Paul, tell us you're okay. He's like, I'm okay, guys. The whole thing was bloody ridiculous. And they're like, we don't believe that's not. Come on, Randall. Of of course, of course, (laughs) doppelganger Paul would say that, you know. Of course he would. Of course he would. But it, it, I think it's a really good point. It really is something that was started out of reverence and out of, you know, these mythical beings that really aren't mythical beings at all, as I'm sure you now are very comfortable with. You know, you had that moment of anticipation meeting this person that's very much larger than life. But now that you've toured with him and dined with him and spent time with his family, you know him to just be a, a mortal guy, you know, who's yeah. a pretty reasonable and easy to get along with guy for someone that's been through what he's been through and had the level of fame at such an early age that he's had. Um, yeah. I would say he seems like a pretty down to earth dude. Uh, and I think you're probably lucky that you get to tour with him and maybe not some others that, that, that aren't quite as down to earth and cool. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Like I said, he's the best Paul McCartney in the world. <laughs> you son of a b- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, this is perfect. We're still working on what we're going to call this episode, Brian. So it might be that. <laughs> uh, because you've chosen out of all the Paul McCartney's, the one that's the best. Uh, this this is an absolute pleasure, and and I have to I have to come clean here. You know, um, in our exploration today. You know, we wanted to be really careful not to ask you a thousand questions that you've had to field a thousand times. Uh, and that's when we're, we're taking this to a larger conversation because 
one thing that I notice about all the observations that uh, you and, and we have made today is that they are structurally, they're things set to continue, you know, and in, in the world of uh, musicianship and, and fandom and stadium concerts, uh, there it seems like there will always be something in the zeitgeist that creates this this lore, like Matt and Noel were saying. And with this in mind, I do have to ask you about like the one quote unquote conspiracy theory that was able to substantiate the idea that uh, Uncle Sam was in some way spying on John Lennon. I have to ask you, Brian, was there, has there been a time in your career or in your travels, because, you know, international as well, where you thought you or your fellow musicians might be being followed or monitored by people other than obsessive fans? Yeah, it's interesting you say that, uh, that you asked that. In the early days of being engaged at Facebook and stuff, I did start to feel like, well, wait a second, this is very big brother-ish. And what if they're monitoring me? What you? And I put a tape over my camera on my computer and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are times uh, when that uh, does occur to me. Um, but uh, I feel pretty secure and safe that, uh, you know, I've turned off my microphone for all of my apps, you know, and I try my <laughs> best. It is kind of freaky, though, when you're, you know, Mandy was just talking about watching something on television and then she turns on her phone and suddenly those uh, those actors and that show is being advertised on her Instagram feed out of nowhere Ooh. and so you get a little bit freaky like you know Alexa just a little less coffee just back it off a little bit stop <laughs> bugging me stop reminding me of what I did 5 minutes ago I know you want to sell me that rug but I'm not looking for that rug today. That's uh, because probably you just bought that rug and they keep spamming you with ads for new rugs. I've never <laughs> quite gotten why that's how the algorithm works. It seems like someone ought to address that because it's <laughs> yeah. not very, it's not very hard. It's just that you have shopped for it before or you looked into Ooh. it. Yeah, exactly. They don't know you bought it or not. They're just going to keep selling you the damn rug. I guess I that's just, fair. I love the idea because when, when it first occurred to me, I was thinking, what on earth is going on? Is there, how is there a system that's smart enough to know someone might be interested in something, but somehow still at the same time, not smart enough to know when to let off? Like, do they really think there's someone out there who just bought like a toilet seat and they get ads for eight more toilet seats? Are they really going to go, ah, oh, what the heck? I'll, I'll treat myself. I'll get another one. You know, just, just <laughs> as a little, little me time. That's great. <laughs> so Man. funny. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, I, I, I know we have to kind of wrap up here. We're getting towards the end of our time. Uh, I, I want to ask you one more question, Brian, and I'm hoping you can angle it into telling us about your podcast. So, like, we start, I started answering the question, and those are my dogs. I apologize. And then we'll uh, get into, into, your, into your podcast. Just tell us all about it. So the first part of the question is, uh, you swim in circles – just that are beyond my imagination as a drummer, a kid who grew up like wishing to be a musician, wishing to just be around people at, that are at your caliber and your peers calibers. Um, what, what is the weirdest situation you found yourself in? And, and it could be weird to whatever, whatever way you would like to use the word weird, 
But just what's the weirdest situation where you thought, man, maybe I shouldn't be here. Um, and, and what kinds of things then do you talk about on your show? Well, I mean, the first part of the question, I think the weirdest place to find myself is playing with Paul McCartney. You know, I mean, I'm a little white kid from Glendale, California, and I am just one of 80 million kids who dreamed of maybe one day having a chance to play with one of the Beatles, you know, and somehow I wrestled that little dream down and somehow Paul McCartney found me to be the right guy for these nearly 20 years. That's weird. That's an anomaly. You know, that doesn't usually happen. And I'm very aware of that. I'm very, very fortunate. Um, there are about 79 of those 80 million kids would be very good at doing it. There is no, it's because I'm the best guy for it. It's that, um, I don't know, it, that's weird. And uh, uh, to the second part, though, I, a little bit more on that. There was a time when I was very afraid that uh, I wasn't going to be able to make a living playing music. Things had slowed down. I had had a hit with Smokey Robinson in the late 80s, and I'd spent every dime of the money that was coming my way, and now the checks were going to get smaller. And it was clear to me uh, I was newly sober. I was just trying to find my legs again. And I remember saying what I call the scary prayer. I said, you know, God or higher power or, you know, Zeus, whoever is out there, you know, if this is not where I'm meant to be, please show me that. And please show me where I am meant to be of service to my friends and my fellows and to myself and to you. And sometime after that, a check came through. I mean, I was ready to go deliver food for Pink Dot. You know, I was really getting scared. My brother said, give it another six months. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. Six months. <laughs> but anyway, somehow, you know, I, um, you know, one thing led to another and I was rolling again. And and now I'm very glad I didn't go get the job with Pink Dot. But, uh, you know, my, my, podcast called On Tour with Brian Ray by uh, Black Barrel Media along with iHeartRadio is an exploration of the struggle and the sacrifices and the hard work that uh, are are necessary to even be in the running for a job like playing with Paul McCartney. Like, how do you even get that in your head that you could do that as a teenager or as a kid? What? You want to do What? I uh, right. You're going to get beat up if you admit that out loud at school, you know, like, um, so it's like, who does that? And I think that a lot of people out there uh, just think it's rainbows and toadstools. You know, it must be just <laughs> golden. You're just flying around having nothing but fun. It's like a monkey's show or something. It's like hard days night all the time. But it, it is a lot of hard work and it's a lot of time off and it's a lot of alone time. And then you get home from a big fancy tour and it's trash night. So there's a lot of <laughs> real stuff that goes on that you have to come to terms with. And it's a lot of uh, hard work that I think people out there need to know about. And that was how the On Tour podcast began. It was an exploration of that to share with people that it's hard work. We're just other hardworking people that do have a weird job. Uh, and, you know, we're just about wrapping up season one. And this week's guest is uh, 
Uh, well, our most recent guest is uh, Matt Sorum from The Cult and from Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver. And it's just been a blast. Uh, and uh, Noel's been a big part of our uh, success and Mandy Wimmer, of course, sitting over there. Um, and it's just been a blast, man. We've been having a great time and we've been doing after shows that we drop every Friday where we talk about that week's episode that we just dropped. And hey, man, it's just, to be honest with you, it's fun to be new at something again, because I've been playing music and playing music live and writing music and producing music since I was a teen. Okay. So it's fun to be new at something because it's scary and it's fun and it's cool. It's challenging. Right on. Well, thank you so much for uh, doing such an amazing podcast and for joining us on our podcast to talk about some uh, all kinds. Of, this has been a wonderfully freewheeling conversation. A little Paul McCartney, a little inspiration thrown in there for good measure. I've had a great time and uh, I hope you did too, Brian. Thanks again. Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. And folks, if you want to hear the inside scoop, if you want to continue the conversation, please do check out On Tour with Brian Ray. I was earlier, no spoilers, because you should listen to the episodes. Earlier, I was checking out um, your after show with your take on Prince. And Prince, oh, that's a that's a story for another day. We might have to have you back on the show. <laughs> but, uh, but while we're working that out, folks, please do check out on tour, please do. And I hope I'm not overstepping here, uh, Brian. Please do go ahead and visit brianray.com uh, where you can learn more about uh, your extensive music catalog, what you've got going on currently, what we've got going on in the future. It is an absolute pleasure uh, to spend time with you today. Uh, listeners, uh, please let us know uh, your take on your take on Beatles conspiracies, please let us know uh, what you would like to learn more about in the world of music. We try to be easy to find online. Oh, one last thing before we do that. Whatever you do, uh, you, listener who's listening, do not go to youtube.com slash the Bayonets Band. Do not go there and do not listen to Sucker for love because it will not stop playing in your head for eight years. That's how long it's been there, and it will not stop for eight years. Ah, uh, goal it. achieved. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Noel. And one last thing it was J. Edgar Hoover, not Uncle <gasps> Sam. I knew it. I knew it. Perfect ending. <laughs> We've kind of blown over that. It's, just, it's the one real conspiracy of all those, not to blow anyone's bubbles if you're still entertaining them, but uh, that I know of. Anyway, it's mm. the one that is true. And it was uh, Dick Nixon, that little devious man, mm. asking J. Edgar Hoover to do him a favor and, and tie this guy up because he's uh, getting too much attention being anti-war. Yeah. Well, you really think so? No, oh, yes, true. it, it is, is absolutely true. true. Wow. It's true. And because Hoover was also, I would say Hoover and Nixon were both crazy, but uh, they were crazy in slightly different ways. That's one thing I didn't ask. I meant to ask, yeah. like, how do you think the government handles monitoring like activist musicians now? You know, because cool. there has to be something to it. Well, you know, I mean, I guess it's the NSA, right, that's tasked with monitoring. Well, there's just so much noise out there. You know, they would be incredibly bored with what I'm up to, right? You know, <laughs> searching cute, you know, pet memes late at night, 
you know, <laughs> that's about it. That's all they're going to get out of me. But um, back then, of course, that was uh, very cloak and dagger stuff, you know. And um, well, they say that J. Edgar Hoover had a lot of skeletons in his own closet. So there was an element of him projecting out onto the world uh, his shadow self that he couldn't or wouldn't own. And I'll look, I'll let you guys go and look up what those uh, what those proclivities were all about for Mr. Hoover. Oh, we, yeah. Yeah. You if know. he had just been a little more honest and at peace with himself. Yeah. I mean, it's no big deal these days. So what if you want to wear a dress, mister? To think about this, my parents were both at Kent State University, Brian, when all this stuff happened there. And when you think about the students for a democratic society and some of these other, you know, groups that were just college students getting together many times quietly, you know, publicly, but secretly to some extent too, to plan certain demonstrations and, you know, certain actual actions. And they, they only had so much influence within their sphere, right? But then you imagine the influence of somebody like John Lennon. I think if you're in some ivory tower, you know, at the FBI or wherever, yeah, and you imagine the power that could be wielded by somebody like that. Um, I bet it is scary for somebody in that position. Yeah, no Ooh. doubt. I mean, can you imagine you don't know what they're coming up with and you're John Lennon and you learn or you suspect there's a file on you and then you start seeing that your immigration is getting held up. It's, it's really scary, man. It's scary so yeah not cool at all but um man well imagine if you're william campbell and you know you're like oh man i gotta keep pretending to be paul mccartney uh what, <laughs> what, what kind of file they got on me no i'm just joking what about this i mean you guys know about that song from i think it was memory almost full called my ever present past uh on paul's uh memory almost full album i believe and he did a video using a Paul McCartney lookalike, a really <laughs> nice guy. And that guy is playing Paul in the video and it's his way of having a little bit of fun with that as well. Whoa. And that's our show, folks. <laughs> Give us a call, 1-833-STD-WYTK. You can also send us an email directly where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.